loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We are talking Renee Zellweger. We're talking Leatherface and Drag. And we're talking general batshit craziness. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And I have to say up front that I fucking love this movie. I think it is a comedy masterpiece. And the fact that people say it's bad are stupid. Um, I'm sorry, the fact <laughs> is stupid. And the people are stupid. So we're just insulting people right off the top. Right off the bat. Um, but before we go any further, I do think I should point out that we do have a lovely co-host tonight. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else, you know her as the co-host of the Screamcast podcast, and you've seen her work on Dread Central. Please welcome Stephanie Crawford. Hi, Woo-hoo. thank you so much for having me. Woo! Woo! Oh gosh, no, woo to you. <laughs> thank you. you. <laughs> thank you for coming on for this episode. I actually don't know, did, did you pick this one or did Joe assign you this one? I think Destiny guided both of us to it. <laughs> that is a good answer. Now, all right, so everyone, in case you didn't read the episode title on your phone or whatever, we're talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, or if you watched the director's cut, The Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which doesn't make a lot of sense, much like most of the things in this movie. <laughs> this movie has some issues on nearly every account, yes. Agree to disagree. This movie's perfect. <laughs> I mean causality is not its friend and i would argue even originality is not its friend that doesn't mean that it's not a super enjoyable watch but i will say that it is the perfect pick to program nearly in the middle of our camp section so welcome to week three of camp bitches because this next generation texas chainsaw massacre nonsense is crazy it is So nuts. Now, Joe, I know this is your first time seeing this. Stephanie, had you seen this before? I have, yes. Okay. And did you watch the director's cut in preparation for this or the theatrical cut? I watched both. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why she's both the hardest working woman in podcasting and also the perfect pick for this episode. (laughs) No, okay. So, okay. Full disclosure I have seen this movie three times in the past year. Oh my God, you too. No, no, no. So, I watched it for the first time a year ago. It was last summer and it it was the theatrical cut. And I I remember watching it and I was like, this movie is hilarious. And I had just. So. I had blind bought the Blu-ray of this and the Blu-ray of the of Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, and I really did not enjoy Chainsaw 3. I thought it was very Aww. boring. I know. Do you like it, Stephanie? Oh, yeah. I'm a huge sucker for that movie. I think okay. I've done like two podcasts on it. Really? <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. I thought it was very boring, and I mean, minus the Viggo Mortensen of it all. But then I watched this right afterwards, and I was like, holy fuck, talk about a palate cleanser. This movie is amazing. And then I showed it again at a movie night, and that was the director's cut. And I was like, okay, the director's cut is quote-unquote better. I mean, there's not a ton of differences except for the... It's the opening sequence, right? Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, almost every scene has, like, extra seconds attached to it in the director's cut. But yeah, it's mostly the scene with Renee Zellweger getting abused and implied rape history by her stepfather good times open your film with sexual assault nothing makes me feel warmer and fuzzier i mean we'll get into it um but so okay so do y'all like this movie let's just get this on the table i mean stephanie's talked about how she watches it endlessly so i can't turn it off i just right after this recording i'm putting it right back in the player so that's my life it's so funny and 
the people that don't like it, like they're like, oh, it's, I mean, okay, yes, quality-wise, it's probably the worst one. But from a pure entertainment standpoint, the people that don't get it, I mean, I'm sorry, that sounds really pretentious. Like, not get it, but like that don't find enjoyment out of how fucking batshit insane this movie is. It's like the room of Texas Chainsaw movies. Yeah. I can definitely understand why if you went into this and you didn't know anything about it and you just thought, okay, this is a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. I can imagine you would be really disappointed by it, but I feel like at this point, it's such a well-known entity as a crazy, insane, just what the fuck is happening film. Right. I think if you go in knowing that, then the film absolutely delivers on that. Yes. Yeah, I remember (laughs) (laughs) reading some old Fangoria's around the time this first came out, and that was really the problem because the reason why you're featuring it here for camp is what turned a lot of people off because you had kind of these Midwestern dudes who wanted like a solid Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Three took it back to being more gritty. Two was too funny. Three was like a little more badass. And four, nope. Yeah, (laughs) just walks it off a cliff, right? It's so funny because watching this, I was like, this is the seat of Chucky. Seat of Frucky. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is the seat of Chucky of the franchise. Like it, um, you know, I hate that there wasn't a commentary in the Blu-ray. Joe actually messaged me while he was watching it. It was like, is there a commentary? Because I have to know what these people were thinking. And I was like, there's not. There is. What? It's on the director's cut. On the Scream Factory Blue? Yeah. Oh, fuck. It's not on the theatrical. It's not listed on the back of the box. No, just it's so not, you know. strangely, but it is there under setup oh, for the directors. What oh the my hell? God. Why would you? Oh, my God. Like, audio commentaries <laughs> to me commentary. are my number one wait, wait. feature on a DVD. Stephanie, did you watch the commentary? Um, some of it. I okay. didn't have time for the whole thing. But... No, I, I mean, you already watched the movie twice, so I understand. <laughs> <laughs> She's already put in her time for this. Okay. So, okay. Well, all right. So, we're getting deep into discussion. Let me go over some technicalities first. So, okay. So this premiered at South by Southwest on March 12th, 1995. Now, that was the director's cut, the return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And that was to, quote unquote, rave reviews. Ah, yes. South by Southwest. Yeah, that would be the place for it. <laughs> I'm imagining Matt Donato, like, drunk in 1995. Like, <laughs> oh, what my God. Is he, like, four? <laughs> yes. Please no, call him like, Baby Donato. <laughs> it, it's, it's like a detention situation, though, where he goes back in time and retroactively, like, reviews the movie. Oh, I love fantasizing about that kind of scenario. Sorry, off topic, but I love no, thinking about that. No, no. I just did, like, a Muppet Babies version, like... It's oh, yeah. 100%. Okay, so, after a protracted post-production that wrapped in 1994, the film had its world premiere at South by Southwest on March 12, 1995, and received glowing reviews, quote-unquote, at the time. The film was purchased by Columbia Pictures for $1.3 million. Now, the studio then agreed to distribute the film theatrically, along with its home video release, and agreed to spend no less than a half million dollars on prints and advertising. Mm. The, the director's cut of the film was released theatrically on September 22, 1995, so about uh, six months after its South by Southwest premiere. But it was only in, in 27 theaters in the U.S., and it grossed about $45,000. So, so not great. Not great. This is weird. Later in 1995, the film was released theatrically and on Laserdisc in Japan. Yeah. And 
and then was shelved for the following two years, when, in 1997, Columbia re-edited, retitled, and released it as Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation, slating it for a late August release. And when did Jerry Maguire come out, theatrically? Well, I'm getting there. <laughs> so according to producer Robert Kuhn, 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 Columbia Pictures had deliberately pushed the film back to await the release of star Renee Zellweger's new film, Jerry Maguire, in 1996, and also Matthew McConaughey's A Time to Kill. Now, oh, right. yeah. the producers agreed to that, but here's the thing. McConaughey and Zellweger shared the same agent, because both of them were obviously coming off of this movie in Texas. Uh, this movie, by the way, filmed about 20 minutes from where I live in Pflugerville, Texas. So I assume that you've been, like out there to check out the form. Yeah, like a tour. No, I haven't. Photographs. <laughs> I mean, okay. So it's Pflugerville. I live in I'm North Austin. It's right there. So this is kind of like in the Pflugerville and Bastrop area. I know that means nothing to you guys, but it's, yeah, it's like the sticks of... How be talking dare about you? alien well, planets for all No, of so, so Pflugerville <laughs> is actually a really popular place for people to move to buy a house now um, because it's, it's, it's so close to Austin, but it doesn't have the Austin, um, like, rates. And because there's body parts just everywhere, all of the houses have been <laughs> condemned because people have been murdered by the Slaughter family. Apparently. So, yeah, the, their agent then purportedly put pressure on Columbia Pictures to not release the film theatrically, which caused complications between the director, Kim Henkel, and the studio. Okay, so in a 1997 interview with the Austin Chronicle, where I work currently, uh, producer Robert Kyun said... <laughs> Kyun. Uh, I feel like you just want to call him Kuhn or like... I want to call him Cunt. I really want to call him Robert Cunt. <laughs> Go for it. Um, <laughs> he is a bit of a cunt because he came between this film's theatrical release. So he, he says, Well, we definitely feel that Columbia TriStar had not done what they agreed to do in terms of trying to market this film in the best possible fashion. No shit. <laughs> yeah. They have not tried to exploit this film to monetarily benefit us as they should have. They've just low-keyed it. They don't want to be guilty of exploiting Matthew because of their relationship with CAA. Yes, that's a talent agency. Gotcha. Which is the strongest single force in Hollywood these days. You get on the wrong side of them, you're in trouble. So I understand their problem, but at the same time, they should have either given the film back to us, or they should have done the best release they could have done, and they haven't done that. <laughs> Has this guy never been involved in the production of a film before? Like... No, they they don't give two shits because they're more interested in their client's reputation. <laughs> I'm sorry, has anyone involved with this film been involved in films before? <laughs> Have they paid attention to the past sequels? Because uh. part of why I do like three is because I think the behind the scenes shenanigans is really interesting and that kind of adds to it for me. Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of a cursed film series. <laughs> It is. Ooh. I mean, well, okay. do we want to table that so that we can talk about that later? Because I would like to hear that story. Yes, yes. I, I do want to hear that. All right. So the end of my, my bit. The film was released theatrically, finally, as Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation in a limited release in approximately 20 U.S. cities on August 29th, 1997, under a co-distribution deal between Columbia Pictures and Cinepix Film Properties. The theatrical release featured the recut version of the film, which is about seven minutes shorter than the original cut, the one we all, well, all of us watched, but Stephanie watched also the shorter version. <laughs> I don't know why I'm being picked on for being prepared. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, no, I'm, I'm, because again, I had seen the, the the theatrical cut the first time, and I just prefer the director's cut, but honestly, I, 
I will watch this movie right now. I fuck. We can just do a commentary right now. Cancel the podcast. It's Let's great. do a commentary with the commentary going, so you guys can finally hear the commentary. Right. And we can comment on the commentary. The film earned fifty three thousand one hundred eleven dollars on twenty three screens between August 29th and September first, nineteen ninety seven. It would go on to gross a total of one hundred eighty five thousand, well, one hundred eighty six thousand dollars domestically, including like that's combined of both like nineteen ninety five and ninety seven versions, making it the poorest performing film of the franchise. Yes, but how much? money did it make off those japanese laser discs yeah those are collector's what items <laughs> what's funny is though like as a kid in blockbuster this the cover for this movie is the most striking like it's the one that i remember the most it's either the lip the chainsaw as the lipstick or it's the skinny female leather face who's not in this movie sitting in the corner i always got the lips i wouldn't say female he has some biceps on him <laughs> right, but I'm as well. The we'll, stockings. We will oh, get into right. the um, the gender identity of <laughs> Leatherface at all. I mean, yeah, we've obviously we're discussing this movie because it involves a gender confused or something. I don't know. It's we'll talk about a it. non-binary. It's, yeah, yeah. So this movie was not well received when it came out. Shocker! You're looking at a at a 14 percent on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and an 18 percent from audiences, and for Metacritic, weirdly enough, a 50 out of 100, which makes no sense hmm. to me. And for the user score part, oh, sorry, there is no user score, but I did want to point out that part three, the remake and the beginning have worse Metacritic scores than this movie. Well, but the new ones were coming out at a time when people were very much down on the grittier, gorier kind of horror films that Hollywood was putting out, so I can understand that. I literally have no bearing with part three. Know nothing about it. When you said Viggo Morrison, I was like, oh, right. I remember him being in one of these, but I have no frame of reference. Stephanie, so I wanted to point this out. So this, much like Seed of Chucky, because Joe has not seen all the Chucky movies um, as of this recording, he hasn't seen all the Texas Chainsaw movies. And I'm assuming you have. Actually, I haven't. Which one have you not seen? Or which ones have you not seen? I turn into a very old lady with Mm -hmm. the more recent ones. Have you at least seen the remake? Yeah, the one Jessica Biel. Yes. Yeah, I saw that once and (gasps) the prequel. And Mm -hmm. I remember liking that one okay. And after that, nothing. I will just be up front and tell you that the remake is in my top 10 horror movies of all time. Yeah. Wow. Be, be warned. Tread lightly around that one. I barely remember it. So. There's there's nostalgia. <laughs> it was the first R-rated horror movie that I saw in theaters with my father. Who, who's alive. He's not dead. But <laughs> I adore that movie and I think it's amazing. And while I understand why the original is so highly regarded, I think it's a better movie than the original. Oh, my God, Trace. I know. And you said I can't say anything. I have to tread lightly. Okay. I know. No, Stephanie, like, <laughs> feel free to tread all over him. That's I, what I mean. I just stepped in a landmine. I know. I totally understand that. And, like, I'm not saying anyone should agree with me. But I, I, I love the remake. And I think Jessica Bill's great. And I think it's so good. Blah, blah, blah. The beginning, the prequel, is a mean film. It's probably the goriest one of the franchise. But it suffers from prequel syndrome. And Chainsaw 3D is terrible. <laughs> yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen that one. And then Leatherface is forgettable. But it's yeah. fine. I just feel bad about that one because I like the director so much because, of course, they did Inside, which mm-hmm. is, like, probably one of my top ten films. But we're talking about none of those movies because we're still <laughs> talking about Next Generation. I just wanted to get my opinion out there. But I, I, but clearly, though, Stephanie, you're a, a big fan of the original franchise. So, of like, one through this one. Yes. 
Yes, okay. I am. And I will say, I'm a huge fan of two. Joe's never seen two, and I'm like, you gotta see oh, it. Oh, two is one of my top horror movies, like five, top five, and probably top 20 just films of all time. It's been on my to watch list for ages and ages and ages. And as always, it's just one of those things I never quite get around to. Because, you know, I end up watching The Next Generation for this motherfucking podcast <laughs> instead of a good film, like number two. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> It's all about the bucket list, babies. I'm crossing them off one at a time here. So, okay, before I... I'm going to throw your plot summary over to you, but I just want to say that this film was written and directed by Kim Henkel. Mm-hmm. Now, this is his only directing credit, but Kim Henkel did create the story and co-write the script with Toby Hooper for the original film. Which I was shocked to learn, because mm-hmm. I thought that this was directed and written by a bunch of hacks who maybe <laughs> live in the swamp, and then when I no, saw that... No, it was that, a revenge I... job. Basically, <laughs> I wish that I knew more about the Austin filmmaking industry. I mean, I mean, I live here. I should know about it, but I'm not involved in it. But I mean, again, this is a very low budget, like Austin community job. And it's just fascinating to me that this was even made, much less bought by fucking Columbia Pictures <laughs> to yeah. be released. Trace, out of curiosity, did you, I, I'm sorry if I missed it, but did you say how much the budget was for this? I did not say that, um, but it was, I believe... $600,000, which is kind of a lot. It doesn't, I don't see it on screen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's going to your plot summary. All right. Yeah. So as I warn the two of you off mic, it's lengthy. So feel free to interject at various points. Okay. All right. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation. After an opening scrawl that kind of sort of acknowledges the previous films. Oh, wait, next... wait. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get a sentence in. <laughs> it, wait, it says two minor... So it, it mentions the first film, and then it says, and then there were two minor yet apparently unrelated <laughs> incidents. Yeah. It's so catty. I love it. Apparently related incidents. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's so stupid. But yes, continue. Well, as you said, Stephanie, it's a revenge film in a lot of ways, right? After an opening scroll that kind of sort of acknowledges the previous films, the next generation opens with Jenny, Renee Zellweger, being sexually assaulted by her stepfather, Jack. Oh, sorry, this is the plot synopsis for the director's cut. She and prom date Sean, John Harrison, head off to prom. Wow, that's prom twice. Way to edit, Joe. Okay, so they head off to prom, but they wind up in the middle of a lover spat between dim-witted Heather, Lisa Newmeyer, and her cheating asshole boyfriend, Barry, Tyler Cohn. Who is apparently, though, still in Austin and very active in promoting this film. Oh, yeah, I, I love seeing him in the interview. Yeah. I love it when they're still enthusiastic about it. And his character is hilarious. He has some of the most choice lines in this movie. It's insane. Oh, my God. Yeah, like... Part of it was I actually thought that a lot of the humor came from these two characters, and then I actually got into the film and realized, oh, okay. No, there's it's the stuff. whole movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so the foursome get lost on the back roads before getting into a car accident. Jenny, Barry, and Heather seek help from perky businesswoman Darla, Tony Perensky. The best character in the movie. <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> I I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about when it comes to Darla. Words cannot describe when she flashes <laughs> out the window. It's okay. So I'm sorry. Continue. I, I got ahead of myself. I <laughs> I love her, and I I want to meet. I want to take. I want to buy her a drink so bad. Like Tony or the or Darla. Um, both. Okay. 
So they seek help from Darla, and Sean is terrorized and eventually run over by Vilmer, Matthew McConaughey. After leaving Jenny behind, Heather and Barry arrive at the slaughter home. Heather is immediately attacked by Leatherface, Robert Jacks, and locked in a freezer. Barry is struck in the face, and Heather is then strung from a hook in her back. After a jump scare with a garbage bag, Jenny is picked up by Vilmer. <laughs> I wrote him, I tweeted when I was watching this, I was like, there is a jump scare when Renee Zellweger gets hit in the face with a garbage bag. <laughs> but it's kind of important because she ends up in that garbage bag later. So she does. It's, it's all a rich it's tapestry. It's Chekhov's garbage bag. Yes. <laughs> it's the same garbage bag. It was stalking her throughout this movie. <laughs> the real villain is the, the garbage bag. <laughs> After a jump scare with a garbage bag, Jenny is picked up by Vilmer, who berates and harasses her until she sees the bodies of Sean and the accident victim in the back. She responds by throwing herself out of the car, but ultimately winds up at the slaughterhouse regardless after being chased through the woods by a chainsaw-wielding Leatherface. When a gun she finds in the upstairs bedroom fails, Jenny... Here we go. Bullet points. Launches herself out the window, crawls across the roof, climbs up an antenna, and launches herself onto a clothesline before falling into a greenhouse. She emerges unscathed and runs back to Darla's office where she is repeatedly tased and punched by W.E. Slaughter, <laughs> Joe Stevens. Y'all, when she's getting tased constantly, like her reactions are very much like, ow, ow. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky because part of me feels like, wow, there should be a kind of trigger warning here because this is really, like, it's almost as bad as what Sally's getting in the original film. Like, it's just, like, from this point on, Jenny is just repeatedly assaulted and abused. Constantly. But it's so funny. <laughs> so bad but so mm -hmm. funny okay so jenny and heather are brought back to the slaughter home by darla who stops en route for pizza pause <laughs> for just incredulous what the fuckery with that but it's great you're you're a little wrong though because she stops for pizza and then she runs into heather and sheepishly whacks her with a stick yes trust me when i say that this Stop original plot summary me. was like three pages long <laughs> no no her hitting her with that stick was i don't think i've laughed that hard in a very long time <laughs> stop hitting me okay but don't okay. go anywhere but don't, yeah don't crawl away <laughs> wait also a heather who we last left on the end of a meat hook and all of a sudden she's in the middle of the road yeah yeah she's resilient yeah she's good i mean if only Jenny was half as much of the woman as Heather is, but okay. Ooh. Yeah, so they stop for pizza and then they return to the slaughter home. Both uh, Darla and Vilmer espouse Illuminati-like conspiracy theories in between torturing Jenny, who tries to take control of the situation by wielding a shotgun, which Vilmer partially fillets. Jenny briefly escapes, but is brought back for a family pizza dinner. She panics, not about the table of corpses, but rather that Leatherface is now decked out in glamorous drag. When her brief attempt to assert herself backfires, Vilmer punishes her by lighting Heather's back on fire and sticking Jenny's head in his crotch. <laughs> Just when things can't get crazier, Mr. Rothman, James Gale, arrives, grabs Vilmer by the balls, and derides him for not delivering enough horror. Rothman then reveals a marked and pierced abdomen, licks Jenny's face, and leaves. <laughs> Vilmer promptly squishes Heather's head with his hydraulic leg before he and Jenny engage in a clicker battle for control of his leg. Like, I can't even believe the things that I'm reading aloud here, It's people. so bizarre. 
Jenny escapes into a passing RV, which promptly crashes because it is being attacked by the slaughters who are driving alongside them. Vilmer is then killed by a randomly passing plane, and Jenny is transported to the hospital by Rothman, where she sees the original film's heroine, Sally, Marilyn Burns, being wheeled away by an orderly with what appears to be Vilmer's hydraulic leg. The film ends in a homage to the original with Leatherface swinging his chainsaw in grief. I don't think Marilyn Burns is playing Sally. It says so in the Wikipedia entry and a bunch of research. Really? I thought she would... Uh, every credit I saw for her was woman on stretcher. Well, because she's not officially credited in the movie, so it's a little weird. And the actor who played Franklin is the orderly, but he's not Franklin, obviously. Right. No, That's I didn't know that. weird. <laughs> God, Joe. Do your research. <laughs> I guess I should have read those 18 pages of Wikipedia notes that you sent us. I'm, okay, you know what? Fuck you. Okay. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> we are good to talk about anything. What do we want to talk about? Do we want to talk about Matthew McConaughey's portrayal? Do we want to talk about Leatherface and Drag? Do we want to talk about Renee? Do we want to talk about Darla? Like, how do we even begin? How about when they use that classic scary old camera sound with the flashbulbs, but it's like a plastic Olympus camera? <laughs> I appreciated that. <laughs> I think that's only in the director's yeah, cut. Yeah, the director's cut. Okay. But I had to point it out. <laughs> no, I, it doesn't make any sense. It was like, oh, we're doing this as an homage, but it makes no, much like everything in this movie, makes no fucking sense. So the first time that you folks watched this, how long did it take you to realize that it was essentially recreating more or less the first film? I, I don't ever think I put that together. Oh, really? Like, even after my third viewing, I was just like, this is stupid, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to pivot and go to Stephanie, and she and I are going to have an adult conversation. Trace, go to your corner. Um, I mean, it was obvious when they did Heather on the meat hook. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, there's at least going to be some echoes going on. But here's the thing, though. No one dies from a chainsaw in this movie. No, no. and no one gets eaten. There's no cannibalism. There's pizza. They eat there's pizza. no people eating. <laughs> which, let's be honest, in a game of Would You Rather, which one are you going to go for? Because I'm feeling more pizza as opposed to like yeah but you're supposed to be in a freaky cannibalistic family you're right smack in the middle of a series that has chainsaw massacre in the title you have certain things you need to live up to and as much as i love this film they drop the ball on some key moments <laughs> well okay so that that was actually i think that's the most important thing to discuss is what what is this movie like Kim Hinkle. <laughs> We're getting deeply philosophical. <laughs> well, no, I mean, because again, it is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre next generation. We need some of W.E. Slaughter's quotes. Well, oh that, actually, no, that's important, though. <laughs> Their last name is Slaughter, whereas in the original film, it's Sawyer. So this Sorry. technically isn't the same family. Mm -hmm. I have nothing else to say to that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but, but this movie, do you think this movie is trying to be funny? Or do you think it's trying? Did anything in this movie scare you too? Uh, oh, uh, Matthew McConaughey's performance a lot of uh, time, as outlandish <laughs> as it was, he was legitimately disturbing to me. I will tell you. Um, so a lot of people get wet over Matthew McConaughey, and I don't. I just feel like he's always gross, and I don't understand why people like him. Anyway, not important. Well, no, I mean, I... I mean, I think in this case, it's actually being used to great effect because yes. it is yeah, did that so work for gross you? Yes, it did. 
I think he's hilarious in this movie. And it's, I mean, I think this was either being filmed at the same time or right before Days and Confused. And he even squeezes in an all right, all right, all right in this movie. I know he's like pandering to his fan base before it's even there yet. It's like, right. wait a look ahead, man. Do you think when he was filming them, he thought, okay, one of these is going to make me a star. So I'm going to try to incorporate elements from one into the other. So I've just got both bases covered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it ain't no fucking biggie might take off, but I shouldn't put all the eggs in that basket. So I'll try a few other things. I mean, he, Kim Henkel clearly did not want to say, you know what? Tone it down. Because nothing about his performance in this movie is toned down. And it, for me, it works. It works very well. And I like it. I like it. It might be my favorite Matthew McConaughey performance of all time. <laughs> Which is not saying much. Which is not saying like much. It. Did you see Killer Joe? Oh, fuck. You know what? Yes, I did. And I like him in that movie, too. So I like him when he is literally being the person that I imagined him to be. When he owns that grossness. Yes. <laughs> oh, Joe, have you seen Killer Joe? I have not. No. I've heard a lot about it, though. You know your favorite girl's in it, Gina Gershon. I'm sorry, Gina Gershon is my favorite girl? Yeah, because you love showgirls. Uh... Well, I'm sorry. She gets to fillet a leg of fried chicken, and it's amazing. Okay, well now, you know. See, you made it sound kind of sexy, though. I oh. <laughs> very dramatic. No, it, it's actually, it, it's basically mouth rape with chicken. It's, it's it's insane. Directed by William Friedkin. So it's not the same as when Matthew McConaughey fillets a gun in this movie, is what you're saying. No, because he wants to fillet the gun. Gina Gershon right. definitely does not want to fillet this chicken leg in this movie. Do you think McConaughey was that, you know, I could give you some tips? And she's like, no, <laughs> no, you could not. <laughs> Only one of these items will go off in your mouth. We are not living in a just world because Matthew McConaughey is more famous than Gina Gershon. Preach. That I can agree with. So, yeah. I'm a mild fan of him. I don't, you know, it depends on the role. I like him a lot in some things. I, you know, don't have a crush on him or anything, but Gina Gershon should be. Yes. Basically her and Jennifer Tilly. I hate throwing them together, but they both deserve, like, statues everywhere. But, okay, so that's McConaughey. I guess we kind of got on a tangent, but what do y'all think of Zellweger in this movie, if we're going with characters now? I think it's just... Okay, so I love watching actresses and actors before they get famous because I try to look at the performance as a harbinger of stardom to come. And I totally don't fucking see it in this movie. Like, if she had not become famous, I would have thought that she was just any kind of random girl in a shitty horror film because... I don't know. I I don't find her particularly memorable at all. Except caveat, caveat, caveat. Mm -hmm. At the beginning, I like her when she's talking back to Barry in the car. Because I think she's actually interesting then. You mean when he says that she's never had a date because she's so ugly, and then he calls her a dog later, and Heather's like, well, you know, her dad rapes her, and it's like, <laughs> that's why she looks so ugly with her glasses and her ponytail. Yeah. Don't listen to him. Not having sex with him will not give him prostate <laughs> cancer. No, prostrate. Prostrate cancer, yeah. <laughs> Blue balls give you prostrate cancer. <laughs> Damn it, Barry. I wrote down so many lines of Barry's. Yeah, it was yeah. so It's funny. a very quotable movie. Joe, it, it, mm -hmm. Stephanie, I will tell you. So this is a quote directly from Mr. Kim Henkel. He deliberately wrote themes of female empowerment into the script, specifically in the Ginny character. Oh, I see it. I see it everywhere. Yeah, Feel free on. to disagree. <laughs> he says, and I quote, it's her story. It's about her transformation, her refusal to shut up, to be silenced, to be victimized, and by extension, her refusal to be oppressed. 
Even by culture, bringing Ginny into a world in which the culture was grotesquely exaggerated was a way of bringing her to see her own world more clearly. That is to say, my intent was to present a nightmarish version of Ginny's world in the form of the Chainsaw family in order to enlarge her view of her own world. I don't disagree with what he's saying because I think particularly during the dinner scene, you can see where she decides, you know, she's had enough. She starts to stand up. I love the scene where she talks back to Leatherface where he starts to challenge her and she's just like sit down <laughs> you sit down sit the fuck down yeah she tells leatherface to sit the fuck down and he does yeah so i like that part but i did feel I, I could see the genesis of the the original sally character at play within jenny because there was altogether just a lot of screaming in other parts of the film I mean, she does She does try to take agency. There's a specific scene that completely wins me over and makes me a big Jenny fan. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I do like her earlier when she's like nerdy and nebbish, but still talking back and she's kind of standing up her friend. And of course, the dinner scene, I, I thought she did wonderfully in that, especially with Matthew McConaughey continually spitting on her. Oh my God. <laughs> and yeah. throwing her around. But the scene when she's in the bedroom with Darla, and Darla is telling her, like, no, it's not the government. He worked, like, Vilmer, McConaughey's character, he works for people who really run everything. And you know the gears are working in Jenny's head, like, oh, you're fucking crazy in this specific way. So she goes along with it, and she's like, oh really? It's not the government? And then when Vilmer comes in, she immediately takes that information from Darla's insane rantings and uses it to try to tamp down the abuse she's getting by Mm -hmm. kind of telling him what he wants to hear. And I think that really comes through with both McConaughey and Zell Wedger. I have to say her name like the Chappelle show. I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 So in that scene, I'm like, this is cool because they did give her character a lot of she's a thinker i totally agree with you i mean I, and so again i don't think this movie is very scary but i think the scene when she crawls up on the roof and leatherface is chasing her and she crawls on the antenna and she goes across the wire i actually thought that was a very i don't want to say scary but it was a very tense scene and i was very into it i like it it's yeah. a clumsy jackie chan homage with the white girls <laughs> it is and, well it's very much like okay like if you were really in this town in the middle of fucking podunk texas in a poofy dress your corsage still on through the whole thing for some reason so i think that jennifer's body homaged this movie with that fucking prom dress (laughs) oh interesting oh can i just say with heather's prom dress it was actually distracting to me like she was the pretty popular girl but it was the most ill-fitting dress yeah to the point where it was actually distracting to me you're right it's terrible Uh, But (laughs) the banter between Heather and Barry in the beginning, and there's a part too where like the the conversation just dies because she's like, well, what if I just, I just thought of something really cool. What if we all wrecked and crashed and died and someone wrote a song about us and everyone's like, (laughs) oh yeah. (laughs) I wonder how much of some of this was improv as opposed to written or how much of it was meant to emulate the kind of idiocy of teenagers. Like, I I love that Heather is simultaneously this self-aware character. Like, I saw somebody say, you know, oh, this film is an early precursor to scream and metatextual 
uh, horror films because mm-hmm. Heather is so self-aware that she's living in a horror film. And I was that like, bitch is not aware of anything. No, I don't, I don't pick that up at all. But it does have some some pretty kind of funny on-the-nose humor in some of her commentary, right? Well, I mean, Kim Hinkle has has said that he wrote the car- the teenagers as cartoonish caricatures of like American youth at the time. I don't know if he said that before it came out or right. after it came out. Backtrack, but... <laughs> backtrack, backtrack. <laughs> but and the film itself also rolls. I mean, fuck. Uh, Justin Yandel, who writes *Bloody Disgusting*, wrote an article about this movie about how the film, how Hinkle is parodying his own work. And yeah. if you go even to *Texas Chainsaw 2*, which is a comedy. I mean, it's a horror comedy, but. Hooper even said, oh, I view the original film as a comedy. And every film, minus the third one, so I guess the second and the fourth one, run with that. Right. I do think it's interesting that you brought up that bloody article, because I did actually think that that was some of the most interesting thought-provoking pieces that I read on the film. A lot of people just automatically write it off. If people don't know it, it's an article called This is Appalling, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation as a Commentary on the State of Horror circa 1993. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. Yeah. Well, I mean, the problem with the title is that it alone is a mouthful. I was tempted to just call it The Next Generation throughout this entire recording. but Just the TNG. Yeah. Right? TCM TNG. <laughs> okay, now it either sounds like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or a Star Trek. <laughs> anyway, this <laughs> article. Tracy kind of undersold it, but it's actually a really interesting piece. It suggests that Kim Henkel is actually using this film to deconstruct the state of the horror genre in the early 90s, which, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, is not the best or most thriving of Early situations. 90s, not great. Totally admit not- it. Not super great, yeah. But that the film is not only deconstructing what the original film was doing, but talking essentially about how horror has lost a lot of its bite. And in this case, you know, that's why they're called the Slaughter Family, because it's meant to be on the nose. That's why uh, Leatherface is ineffectual and kind of coded as potentially queer, non-binary, or something like that. Do y'all really think Kim Henkel was, like, intentional with that shit? This is tricky. So when I looked up his background, because as as I said, I didn't know anything about him and I didn't know his relationship to the franchise, but I did (laughs) see that he used to be, I think, uh, like a post-secondary instructor, kind of like Wes Craven. So it actually is kind of possible that he was being savvy and he knew what he was doing. I I agree with that mostly. I think. Yeah. And I don't think it went incredibly deep because he obviously had a lot of comedic kind of notes in his mind. Like there's mm-hmm. just one small thing I hooked onto is the grandpa character. Yeah. Right. And he, in the past films, he's always one of the most horrific looking people in this one. This one, he kind of just looks like a guy in really quick latex makeup. He's pretty hearty looking. He's not emaciated. And mm-hmm. he just gets up and leaves it <laughs> yeah. like, I'm done. And just leaves and and that's it. Like, there's nothing creepy with him. And, like, I, I was listening to him talking and he doesn't seem to understand why people hold the original in such high regard. And I think, in a way, this, this sequel was him trying to figure it out by... 
but he's I th- working I feel through like he, his issues. Yeah, I feel like he kind of threw everything into it. Well, but that's also like with, with, with Hooper when he made the second one, saying, "I view the original as a comedy." So him co-writing the original with Hinkle, that that tracks. Like they, they clearly both thought the original was a comedy, and it's considered one of the most brutal and graphic horror films of all time, despite not being particularly gory yeah um, it literally shows nothing it leaves everything to your imagination exactly it feels like a snuff film might and, not it well, and, and that's that no and, and that's why y'all i will confess i saw the remake before i saw the original uh, so yeah. that'll mess up your it, it messed it up for me and that's why i love the original and so when i finally uh, sorry that's why i love the remake and so when i finally saw the original i was very much like oh but to be fair the remake is can also like wrongly accused of being overtly gory and torture porny and it's really not that gory i mean it is a lot gorier than the original but it's not really violent so i just wanted to throw that out there but not really. yeah i think the new one sets itself off on a bad foot potentially for critics or particularly for critics uh by having a woman pull a gun out of her vagina, vagina and then when she yeah. blows her own head off the camera goes through it but it's also a really fucking cool shot but yes i agree yeah i i like that shot but oh, then no, after I that like it's it. like yeah. the it's... glossiest dusty movie i've ever seen like, it is they no. found <laughs> it's, they it's... found a way to make the sweat and dirt look like a victoria's secret commercial but, but oh my the, god the people okay. in that movie are gorgeous models but you're just like yes continue sweating <laughs> for me as you die the thing is though it still has the effect of making you want to take a shower after it's done even though yes the original is way more like gross in terms of like it looks gross and yeah. it's it, the low budget effect though goes to that whereas the remake is much more like a glossy shiny you know polished gross thing it still makes you feel gross. Like, nothing about that that remake is pretty. So does the next generation make you guys feel gross? Yeah, that's what I was wondering, too. Because I'm thinking, this has a similar kind of low-budget aesthetic to it, but I feel like it doesn't have a griminess to it. Although yeah. I will give it credit for its set dressing. Because really? the interior scenes in the slaughterhouse, like the kitchen, looks lived in to me like it's gross and icky and just cluttered and so i don't i don't like the visual aesthetic of the film i don't think it works in the same grimy way but at least the house looks real to me one thing that really stood out to me is the first three they establish a lot in the daylight and then it gets dark this one it starts out dark and i almost wonder if that kind of throws it off like you don't get to see any kind of contrast well because it's yeah it's not daylight until the end with the plane yeah <laughs> and then you're just distracted God. by why is there a plane coming at him why is there a limo in the middle of this yeah. field and you're immediately inside a hospital afterwards but i do love the cut to the old lady the old people in the winnebago and the lady is like <laughs> isn't it a great morning george and they're like she's like serving him bloody mary just like That's through a field in texas <laughs> like and then when they see her she's like keep driving george don't stop <laughs> which any true crime aficionado is no, is the right move. It no. doesn't matter that that young girl needs help. You keep driving because if yeah, not, call, call the police when you hit a stop. <laughs> okay, wait. So y'all, we have skated past her, and I can't bear 
not talking about her anymore. We need to talk about Darla. Darla. <laughs> Y'all. I mean, she's the best, right? She is the best character. She's so funny. I want to be her. I want to be Darla. You want that purple power suit. Yes! <laughs> and that, that big ass hair. And then she has that line where she's like... There's this guy named Vilmer. Well, you just tell him how the cows eat the cabbage and you won't have any trouble. I uh, I just came a little bit. It's the most <laughs> Texas thing possible. And what's funny is, y'all, uh, fuck, I keep saying y'all. I, I was going to say, you're, you're like this a Texan. This is the movie to bring your y'all well, south for. So, I mean, okay, so I, I was born in Louisiana. I grew up in Houston. Like, it's totally cool. But I, I don't have an accent. Maybe, Joe, you disagree. but Not really. When I listen to movies with accents, I inherit the accent. A southern one, like a Texan accent. So I watch Two Magnolias, I get the Louisiana accent. I watch Darla doing her thing, it's all great. It's I get the Texas accent. So basically you're a magpie. I don't know what that means. I think I thought that it meant that you just echo accents. So you were going to wait for me to like, <laughs> just be like, yeah, uh-huh. More or less. That's yeah. me. Because usually when you don't understand what I say, you just agree with it. Okay, so yeah. Thoughts on Darla? Thoughts on her pizza segue to... Oh, and when she's like, that's just someone I have in my trunk. Yeah, Do you want to come around and check on... it out? <laughs> no, and then the cop a cop comes up and I would just start crying and screaming. Mm-hmm. And she just flawlessly flirts with them. And I, I will say Zellwidge or she... Sorry, I'll say Jenny. She's really cooperative because she's like, okay, I'll give you a hole in the bag if you keep it down. She's like, okay. And then she, you have to hear the cop right immediately out there. You can break your promise yeah. in that kind of circumstance. You'd be like, actually, excuse me, you're to- No, you're totally right. Like, she has this, like, I'll poke a hole in this bag. You just got to <laughs> promise me that you won't make a sound. Okay. And it's the funny, the delivery. I mean, it is, it's so funny. This movie is an intentional comedy and it works and it deserves an Academy Award for comedy. Or at least a Razzie. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Razzies don't deserve this brilliance. Yeah, I don't like Razzies. No, I mean, Razzies always go after the low hanging fruit, too. So it would never go for this. So thoughts, more thoughts on Darla. Yeah. Joe, you asked me, what's her relationship to the family? What's her relationship to Vilmer? Yeah. So that was the part that kind of took me by surprise because it comes out so late in the game. And I thought maybe I had missed something, but she is Vilmer's girlfriend like side piece yeah no she's like a fangirl uh thrill killer you know like she mentions a husband and she initiates a really violent kinky foreplay with him i think she's just she knows how to be straight laced she probably had a normal upbringing but she always like had a thirst for blood and i don't know maybe like vilmer was in a creepy bar one night and she was looking for a cheap thrill and but her name oh is God. darla slaughter her name is darla slaughter so is she a sister or is she outside are you sure her last name is slaughter i mean the wikipedia says well darla then slaughter. that throws my assumptions out. well i mean well hold on joe are you looking it up I am. It does say slaughter here, but that I never got the impression that she was actually like I got the impression she was a de facto member. Does the movie give you any impression of anything? No. <laughs> well, like when she's talking to um, W.E., 
Like, they're very mm-hmm. contentious, but not in a brother-sister way. It's no. almost like she kind of forced herself into their dynamic. Yeah, and he wants her the fuck out of that house. Yeah. Which I loved. I loved all of their their bickering and her being like, did you tell them that I was going to do this? And then when she <laughs> finds out that, he, that W.E. didn't pass along the message, and she gets so fucking mad. <laughs> She's like, I, I told, I told him I was gonna get these pizzas and bring them over here, and you didn't tell him shit. I love how heavily pizza factors into this plot. It's so big. <laughs> I mean, like, it's an integral aspect of this narrative. Why? Why is this moving? Okay, it gets an R rating for language, which makes sense. You, you, you get to see Darla's big old titties. <laughs> hey, girls have tits, all right? But those look fake as fuck, are they not? Guys, I was quoting Barry. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're Sorry, right. I was too busy dealing with my prostate cancer. Prostrate. <laughs> Straight cancer. <laughs> look, I was too hung up on the line when Heather says, I'll tell you what, I'm just a bitch like my mother. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love this movie so much. Why don't people enjoy this movie? I really don't understand. Well, do we want to talk about the maybe problematic or the very unusual decision regarding Leatherface? Since it is the most com- it is the most queer element of the film. Let's talk about it. I mean, like this movie is very queer. And previous films have hinted at Leatherface's queerness. This movie hones it in. And Leatherface, I don't believe, kills anyone in this movie. No, he he has a very small role in this because it's funny when you're doing the plot synopsis, you kept mentioning Leatherface, but it was he's really a delivery system here. He doesn't really do much. No, it definitely seems, I mean, you always get the impression, or at least in the films that I've seen, that he's kind of like somewhere between a sibling and a pet that they can use as muscle whereas in this film he's not even that like he's just somebody who kind of hangs out on the margins and does his own thing so i read this thing but it says he, he absorbs the personality of the face that he wears so the last face that he got was a tortured drag queen <laughs> That's who he embodies. I mean, there's that shot at the end where all he does in this movie is scream. Yes. Although, I will say, the scene where Heather's sitting on the bin, the, the swing at the front of the house, and, the, and, and he's standing behind her, like, touching her hair, I actually did find that sufficiently creepy. I thought the scene where he attacks her and drags her into the house, and then right up until the point where he puts her in the freezer, and then she just immediately opens the freezer again, <laughs> I love that. which is funny. <laughs> but up until that point, like, the way that he handles her is really frightening like i imagine that this film if you were uncomfortable if you were a woman and you were uncomfortable around men or had concerns that men would try to touch you i feel like the way that both heather and jenny are handled in this film would be very threatening well we have a woman on this podcast so stephanie tell us stephanie as an ambassador for all women (laughs) wow put on your purple power suit i need a bedazzled scrunchie (laughs) so stephanie your deliberation does the scene of violence against women in this film feel authentically scary to you see i think my experience with the past three films Mm -hmm. in the series does color that in the first one he is classic leather face and you get a little hint there's a little bit of makeup on one of the faces so you get a little bit of a hint but he's just a huge guy and like you said he's almost kind of like the george 
character where they're like, just go get it done. You're the giant dumb guy. And he, and he does it. And, um, you feel a little bit bad for him for, but for the most part, he's the giant boogeyman. And, you know, when you see guys with leather face tattoos and like the expensive action figures, like Mm -hmm. that's the version. In the second one, he's basically going through puberty and like he gets a crush on a woman. He has a chance to just chainsaw in half and he doesn't. He tells her to be quiet so she can escape. And he's like very strangely sweet in that one. In the third one, um, there, everyone seems to have come around to appreciating the second one now, but yeah. not at the time. No. So the third one, they walk they're it like, back. no, we got to go back to that gritty feeling of the first one. But wait, the third one is the one where they have the trailer, though, where he, like, pulls the chainsaw out of, like, like out of the river. Yeah, the trailer, yeah, it's Lady in the Lake. Yeah. So oh you God. think it's going to be goofy. Not at all. Yeah. It, it's a great trailer, but it does not <laughs> You a hint of the film out. Good old marketing. So they kind of take that growth away from him in the third one. They just have a moment where he's playing with a speak and spell. And they have that great moment where they show a person and he just spells out food. (laughs) (laughs) Cannibalism humor. Well, the third one was notoriously butchered by the rating system because it's not gory either. And it's um, I think maybe had it not been butchered, I might like it more. Again, like I said, I thought it was boring, but maybe it's, I, I own the fucking Blu-ray, so maybe I'll watch it. Who knows? No, uh, watch it with the commentary, and it's just an amazing story about how studios will completely chop something up. If you're interested Ooh. in behind the scenes, that's the way to do it. Thank you. That that has motivated me to watch that commentary. Yeah, that sounds really good, actually. There's good Vigo stories, too. Like, he knows everyone. Uh, <laughs> oh, so just... As a, as a side tangent, so we're saying Vigo is above McConaughey, right? Oh my god, yes, no contest. I mean, in attractiveness, yes. However, McConaughey is more entertaining in this movie than Vigo is in Chainsaw 3. Yeah, though Vigo has a really cute frilly apron he wears in Part 3, and I do appreciate that. For sure. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so leading into this one then. So what are your thoughts? I mean, it's a completely different performance, mm-hmm. and I tried to do some research on Robert Jacks, who plays Leatherface. He's dead now. I know. Wow, yeah. Debbie Downer. Okay, I won't talk about him. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I guess he became kind of a fixture in Austin and he was friends with Sandra Bernhardt and she interviewed him about this movie. What? (laughs) Yeah. And he talked about her, how like there's three leather faces in this movie and, um, but he's friends with Debbie Harry and they recorded the quote unquote theme song for this film. An English and German version. Hmm. How is this? This is the perfect choice for your camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like what? Series. <laughs> so I, I f- like that's very specific casting. You know, that's not just a regular actor you're getting because he has a certain body type. That's a kind of performer who definitely brings a specific flavor. And a lot of people attack his portrayal of Leatherface, but I think he's doing exactly what he was directed to do. Like, much more submissive, traditionally feminine, kind of lost 
in a way. Well, and abused, I think, too, right? Oh, certainly, yeah. In all of them, he's just, he's the whipping Sawyer slash Slaughter, whichever family he's in. Yeah, though just to clarify, just because you've been abused does not necessarily mean that you will be meek and and gender fluid or something like that. It's just to say that he's obviously gone through something i think you have to again the time period to account this movie may have been saying that right in 1994 yes it may have been saying that and like you know i'm crediting 1994 and excusing it any possible harmful messaging it may have been giving out yeah we're looking at it through 2019 eyes for sure but again i mean they're kind of it falls on because it really just goes back to what was henkel trying to accomplish with this movie yeah. Was he trying to make a camp comedy thing? Or was he trying to make something serious? And then after it premiered to quote unquote rave reviews at South by Southwest, was he like. <laughs> backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that was my intention the whole time. <laughs> I mean, I do think that there's. If you do believe that he is trying to produce a more serious minded piece of commentary, it's a very fascinating approach to say I'm taking more or less the figurehead. So the person that has been typically associated with the horror of this franchise, and I'm subverting it by making this character more feminine, like literally dressing the character up in drag, making him ineffectual. That's a hell of a statement to be making. And and the shot of him putting lipstick on that, I don't know if the whole thing is director's cut only or if it's longer in the director's cut, but like part of the lipstick stuff, which is a very interesting scene. Like They spend, at least in the director's cut, so much time watching him put on makeup. Which is interesting because Leatherface doesn't, as Stephanie, you said, he doesn't get that much screen time in this film. Mm-hmm. I actually got a lot of divine feels yeah. from this performance and... I don't know when Divine passed. I think he was still alive, but it does feel drag queen performance or performativity, rather. I just think that that's really a fascinating choice. 88, yeah. yeah. Right when Hairspray came out. Oh, fuck, you're right. So, I mean, yeah, this is like way after. I mean, this was filmed six years after Divine died. Yeah, I don't know. It just gives me the feels. No, I do agree with you. I think there was subversion Yeah, it does get muddy because obviously when you look at the posters, Mm -hmm. they are actively trying to be subversive. But I think in a trashy way. But but, but again, the the poster and and the box art is a skinnier, more sexual female embodiment. Yeah, like a Betty Page Yes, yes, Betty Page Grace. That is a perfect way to sum it up. And this one is a very thick, like masculine man with a woman with a female face. Clarification. Are we saying thick with two C's or a thick with a CK? <laughs> uh, CK. I'm going to say CK. Okay. Ah, it's, traditional. Okay. Yeah. Yes, okay. traditional CK. Although, I mean, honestly, if it's your if it's your bag, by, by all means, use the double C. It's fine. But that version of that is on the cover of the box is not in this movie. Yeah. Which they usually do with, like, the, you know, the nubile young actresses in slasher movies. They'll just be, like, a model who may kind of look like it. Yeah. Yes. Or also that kid, was it Troll or Troll 2, where it's the little boy who's not in the movie? Well, or um, Sleepaway <laughs> Camp 2, where they don't have fucking Pamela Springsteen on the cover. It's yeah, just some random I bitch. Never understand why they do that. 
<laughs> because she's sexier than Pamela Springsteen. I know, poor Pamela Springsteen. She's like, oh, but I'm she not doesn't pretty. have the personality. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, listen. I don't hold the first sleepaway camp in high regard. I fucking love two and three. I think two and Me three are. Too. I think they're so funny and fun. Same. But I think the first one's kind of boring. Yeah, the first one, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. You, you did some interesting things. The sequels, oh, you can put them on anytime. Oh, yeah. anytime. Actually, it would have been perfect programming for this camp block. Spoiler alert, they're not in here. Sorry. No, they're not. I, I like this version of Leatherface because I can't imagine. Actually, I kind of wonder, do you think Science of the Lambs influenced this at all? I don't, to be honest. I stand by my argument. I think that this was, A, an attempt to do something different with an iconic character, but also, B, in a way you can't, like, you've got to amp everything up because everything in this film is turned up to 11, right? So you can't just have Leatherface be Leatherface. You've got to have, what's the evolution of a Leatherface? leather face in drag i would think it'd be a leather body like why just the face but i think it is though because she has tits that's Does true she? yeah they they did the whole prosthetics too and everything like leather face is wearing not just a face it's a woman's suit she oh, has tits yeah. in this movie because yeah, that like bathroom top, is literally yeah. filled with oh flesh suits and the one that we see on the back of the door when barry yes! goes in there is i presume titties yeah, I never connected that. <laughs> that's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, and, again, what's on the lambs? You got Buffalo Bill wearing a woman's suit when in this movie you have a woman's suit, a skin suit hanging on the back of a door like a robe. I don't know how much it was directly influenced, like when it came to the script, mm-hmm. but dollars to donuts when they were trying to sell it and pitch it. I'm sure it came up. Well, particularly when you look at the box office gross of Silence of the Lambs, like, hey, can we ape that box office success and maybe get the awards? (laughs) Do y'all find it problematic? Or do you you think it's just so jokey that it it doesn't matter? I think I'm with Stephanie. I think it's muddled and therefore unclear. So if people did take offense, I don't personally, but I could understand why people would. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's so stupid that I can't take it seriously. <laughs> you just dismiss it outright. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I agree. And they also, they don't identify Leatherface as no. like anything no. at all. Leatherface is kind of just unto Leatherface. He's a child in this movie. Yeah, there's no sexuality yeah. connected to him. They don't even really refer like i mean i've been using the term he and i think in the film they don't even really gender leatherface in that way and do I they think call because... him leather do they refer to him as leatherface or do they just say do they say in do they call him thomas like he's i can't recall i feel like it's always just like get her do this shut up you big baby yeah that's all that's coming to mind for me i mean it's interesting right because leatherface just isn't the villain in this film it's very like this is vilmer's film in a lot of ways uh rightfully so well i mean matthew mcconaughey just fucking takes that performance and runs with it but it's interesting that when you look at how they sell this franchise the legacy of this franchise like you don't hear people talking about vilmer nobody dresses up as vilmer and his fake hydraulic leg for uh, Halloween. the leg which is never explained why does he have no. a remote control why does he have two wait no <laughs> yeah, exactly. he has a spare he has a I feel spare like he has trust issues <laughs> yeah <laughs> And that's a messy house. It's not locked up or anything. It's just out there. Is it Jenny who grabs the spare remote and she's like, man, she like moves. I'll teach you. 
Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's almost like slapstick comedy with oh, for sure, like the fight over the lake. Okay, so here's the question: Do you oh, think man. that he and Darla have those remote controls for their like messy sex games? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, I do want to bring up one thing, and that is the filming conditions of this movie. Okay. Yeah. No, so Renee Zellweger basically, like, you know, they all shared the Winnebago. It was the producer's personal camper. And the makeup was in the front seat. There was a table in the middle for hair. There was a curtain by the bathroom. It's the only interview she's given about the movie, and it was in 2016. Because, again, apparently everyone involved wants to bury this movie. And why their representation still wants to bury this movie? See, that's what gets me. Because for so long, people said, oh, so Wedger and McConaughey want to bury this. They're so embarrassed. But when people talk to them about this movie, they're not. They're like, yeah, it was crazy. And I know Renee said that she was actually really it meant a lot to her that was the her first film and they gave her the lead and they put that much trust in her Mm -hmm. it's their representation and they even got taken off the screen factory cover well yeah i was saying so they had a screen factory cover like the the one that currently exists with leatherface and the woman garb and then they had zellweger zellwedgers and (laughs) mcconaughey's face on the opposite sides and then like two or three months before the release, they were like, oh, we have to remove them because their representation was going to sue us if we kept it on the box. Yeah, I can see it back for that initial release when they were trying to break out and they wanted to be legitimate. But in 2018? No, it doesn't make sense anymore. I think anymore. at this point, they'll, they never see this. They probably had no idea Blu-ray was coming out. It just landed on their management's desk and they're like, ew, no. Yeah, CAA was like, uh, this is entry number four. We're no, assuming no, no, CAA no. still represents them like me yeah whoever does yeah (laughs) i feel like they didn't even let them know they're like no of course not they had a note from ca like listen the chainsaw massacre is gonna come back and rear its ugly fucking head in your (laughs) in your direction shut that shit down asap and that was it that was the end of the story but what is not the end of the story is the illuminati dun 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 we should be careful because this podcast could be being monitored by them or some other moon unit that uh, is apparently plugged into the Slaughter family and their illegal the activities. Does that listen to the show? That's cool. <laughs> so I, I don't know much about the Illuminati. My husband does because like Beyonce and like all the pop stars are like, you know, supposedly involved <laughs> in the Illuminati. And Of course, yeah. Yeah, I mean like Taylor Swift, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> Joe, as a first time viewer of this movie, what were your thoughts? <laughs> When the man in the limousine showed up at the end of this movie. As I said (laughs) in the plot summary, it's basically when you think the film can't get any more, what the fuck? This man in black shows up. He's got like weird abdominal piercings. He's spouting nonsense about how Matthew McConaughey is not delivering the horror. It was very confusing on a first-time watch. It's almost like the director bursting into the movie. (laughs) It is! A little bit. It actually reminded me of Demon Knight from, like, way back in the day, where you've got men dressed as some kind of door-to-door salesman showing up and being like, I'm an agent of evil here to poison this movie. Even like, um, I mean, this movie would come out a couple years after this, but even um, Michael Haneke's Funny Games, where, you know, they, mm. they, they, the killers grab a remote control and rewind the movie after like one of them gets killed, spoilers, and, and restart the scene so they still went. Because that, that, it, it's very meta. And the fact that this was made before Scream. And actually what's interesting is, 
this movie was re-released in that 1997 year after Scream. So it's kind of, it's just weird. It's very weird. It is very odd. I mean, again, if you're buying into that argument from the bloody article, it's part of this idea of the selling out of the film, but also that... uh, It doesn't even come out of nowhere, though, because Darla does tell Jenny about it when she's, you know, making her over in the room. Yeah, and the name of uh, the truck is Illuminati Wrecking. Oh my god. Oh, didn't notice that. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that either. <laughs> I mean, Vilmer talks about his JFK conspiracy theories and oh, some yeah. other stuff like that too. Well, so. no, Dar- Darla does. She goes, well, it's it's these people that they, they, they watch over us and they do all these things. I mean, who do you think killed JFK? That's what she does. Yes, they both do. <laughs> The only thing I I can see how it does come in like a oh there's not some grimy backwoods family it's a giant conspiracy just tying in a bow but I was hoping they'd go further with it like maybe they'd recruit Jenny Ooh. at the end I was kind of hoping oh. she'd be like okay like a hostile two type situation where she yeah, like yeah yeah like th- the end of her arc she's like yeah I've I'm not going back to normal life after all this. Well, and that's, and that's the thing. I mean, again, this movie did so poorly, and clearly no one gave a shit about that, that then, yeah, six years later, after the re-release, they remade it. Oh, they remade, I'm sorry, they remade the original, not this movie. Oh, my God. I would kill oh, for a remake of this a movie. A remake of this <laughs> Oh, my God. <gasps> they should just get McConaughey again. Yes! <laughs> I mean, they'd both probably come back for it, right? Oh, yeah. What's, yeah, fucking McConaughey's like, I did Serenity, and that was shit. And Zellweger's like, I'm in What If, this soapy thing on Netflix, and it's also shit. Yeah. And, yeah, I bet they'd do it. I bet they'd do it. With her Bridget Jones accent, please. Also, she kind of, she has her new face. Ouch. Oh. Mean, but also interesting. But factual. (laughs) Maybe it's just fillers, mostly. I don't, I don't think anyone's ever going to know. So she should play Leatherface? She should be in a dual role. And then she pulls her face off, and then it's old Renee Zellweger's face. Like, like, as an old, like, late 90s Renee Zellweger face. And then she's the mom of whoever the new ingenue. Oh my god. So, I did have a game, but I kind of feel like we've actually just answered it because it was going to be what would a hypothetical sequel to this movie look like? I kind of like that. I think I hate saying her cuz I don't know how to pronounce her first name ever, but um from It Follows, uh Micah Monroe. I think she'd be a good Jenny. Yeah. Oh. Oh my, oh my god, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so you remake this movie, do you do it seriously, or do you do it spoofy like the Brady Bunch movies? I wouldn't go full Brady. I personally would dive into the Illuminati thing mm-hmm. and go bug fuck crazy with the Illuminati. I'm into it. No, I, I'm like 100% supportive of that. Also, I love that you said full Brady, which means you've seen those movies and you oh, appreciate- Oh, I love them. Ah! Oh my god. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Those are very formative movies for me. I was explaining to someone earlier, and she was like, I've never heard of the Brady Bunch movies. And I was like, really? Because you fucking should. No. And she was like, oh, they, was it the people that made the show? I was like, yeah. And they fucking spoofed it, and it was great. <laughs> they got, they were holding stuff in, and <laughs> they got it out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But no, I, I totally, I, I think you're right. I think go full Brady, do this movie on a better budget. Keep the humor, but make it even more intentional. Because even I do think 
I'm cutting this movie, so I'm slack. I think it was intentional. I'm going to say everything was intentional, and it was fine. I mean, just the existence of Darla, I think, kind of proves that out. That is the oddball character, yeah. But dealing with Leatherface, that that would be the touchy part. Yeah. Actually, that's true. So could they do this today with Leatherface in drag? Ooh, I know what you do. You reverse it, gender swap it, and have a... have Leatherface as a drag king. So have a woman put on man clothes. No, you cast an actual drag queen as Leatherface. So Renee's out. (laughs) Yeah. Or like Nina West. I mean, no one's going to go see that except for the gays. But... And Stephanie, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's the new queer film that we've all been waiting for. But I mean, like, like, again, this this movie isn't, like, super, like, there's not queerness on its mind, but it's fascinating, and I would love a remake that's super fucking queer. Yeah, I will say, um, at the beginning, we kind of skirted, well, we completely skirted over one character, Jenny's date. Oh, Uh, Sean, who dies immediately? Yeah, immediately. I felt bad for him. I mean, Barry is an asshole, so it's kind of a grain of salt with him, but do you feel like it might, they might have been hinting at kind of a beard situation there? Well, he's, I think they make fun of him. I mean, this is Barry being mean, but they suggest that Sean is actually gay and that jenny is just going with him because she couldn't get a date don't they because she's so ugly and she feels safe yeah she's <laughs> she wears like yeah they totally do a romantic comedy thing with her where you're hideous all your glasses are gone you're hot i mean no to be fair heather literally says yeah her stepdad all of her stepdads that her mom has like married raped her and that's why she dresses the way she does so they don't yeah. rape her yeah. but i saw her naked in gym and she's hot she's so hot oh yeah. i know right <laughs> jesus These are all elements that would have to be dropped in our remake. (laughs) Okay, so I think we need to bring it to a close. Uh, Any final thoughts on Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation or the return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Uh, As a first time watch, I have to say that I quite enjoyed this. I don't know that I feel it has the same rewatchability that the two of you have made the argument for, but it was a damn good time. I just want to say that I, I was preparing for the podcast. To me, part two is incredibly rewatchable. This one, I think, is a one every two to three years. Oh, er. man. I mean, again, I'm going to reiterate, I've seen it three times in a year. Okay, just just me, just me. No, I'm, I'm, I think I'm leaning more towards you, Stephanie. Stephanie, I will say... You really should give the remake another chance since you clearly- I will. I will. It's been a, a very long time. I mean, you clearly hold the original franchise in a very high regard, which is great. So I don't think you're going to love it as much as I do. I mean, I, I really adore this remake. Yeah, but, you know, I, I don't revere it and think no one should touch it. I It's mm-hmm. a weird franchise. It's really interesting. And that's what pulls me in. So, yeah, I, I love the experimentation they just throw in here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess um so we that concludes our discussion on the next generation. Stephanie, would you like to plug anything that you're doing? Uh no, I I have some things I'm excited about that are coming up, but you can just follow me on Twitter. I'm scrawfish, just crawfish with an S in front of it, and I throw everything there. So So, before we announce what we're covering next week, if you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach me at Trace Thurman. I am at B, still my remote. That's the letter B. 
And if you're tweeting about the podcast, please use the hashtag horrorqueers in your tweets. Uh, you can also email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com, or you can check out our Facebook page. If you have two seconds, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating, or if you have a little bit more time and keystrokes in your stamina, please leave us a review. If you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash horrorqueers, where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes covering recent horror films like It Chapter 2. Plus, if you're a patron, you'll get a newsletter at the beginning of every month that lets you know our entire schedule for that month. Joe, what are we covering next week? Oh, dear Lord. Camp rolls on, and we are exploring the Lindsay Lohan of it all with 2007's I Know Who Killed Me. I haven't seen this since high school, and I remember finding it boring. It is boring, and it is blue. (laughs) It's very... No, there's lots of blue, there's lots of sapphire, and there's lots of nonsensical things yeah wait isn't there a leg subplot there There sure is yep we're talking about twins one of them loses a leg i remember watching it and i was like what's happening and then when it's all explained you're like oh Uh, yeah but i do have a funny britney spears story that i'm gonna tell so and on that note we can cross out texas chainsaw massacre the next generation or the return of the texas chainsaw massacre oh my god cross out horror queers (laughs) 